Um, we will always be grateful and thankful to you. And Father, that we will use the resources that you have given us in a manner that would bring glory to your name and be pleasing to you. Father, we do thank you for the church, Grace Evangelical. We thank you uh, for the opportunities we have to gather and worship and minister with each other and, and uh, to be a family together. Father, I, I thank you for our elders. I thank you for the men that you have raised up to guide and lead and direct us. I do pray for them. Father, as we move closer to the month of September where, uh, where it becomes our responsibility to go before you and to seek your will and to nominate men to be elders, I pray, Father, you'll begin stirring in the hearts of the members of Grace of Ann uh, that responsibility and begin to raise up the men that, that you would uh, put in position to lead our church. Father, we, we do take a moment, and Father, we, uh, we uh, as a church family, lift up some of the requests that uh, are before us from our church family. Father, there are those uh, within our body that are, are needing employment. Uh, Father, there are, there are those who are, are ill and sick and, and uh, facing treatments that are painful uh, and, and needing, Father, answers to why they're ill. Father, we lift all those to you. We acknowledge that you are the sovereign king of the universe, and, and none of this catches you off guard, Father. We ne don't necessarily understand why you allow, but we trust that you, Father, will bring glory to your name and will, will bring good out of the suffering at times that, that occurs. We specifically ask, Father, that you will care for. Father, we pray that you will raise up people within our congregation to, to uh, comfort and to minister to those that are suffering at this time. Father, I do specifically thank you for the positive report that the Browns uh, have received uh, concerning their unborn child. Father, I do pray that if it be your will, that that child will, will live a full life. And Father, a life that, that is a testimony to you and your grace. And that that child will serve you and bring great glory to your name. Father, uh, tonight as we spend a few moments considering your word, I do pray that your Holy Spirit would be present. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us into truth. I pray, Father, that... Where necessary, your Holy Spirit will convict us. And where appropriate, Father, your Holy Spirit will encourage us. Father, may we be a people that rely upon and, and trust in your word. And Father, we ask these things because of the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. And in his name and his name alone. Amen. All right. Uh, tonight, uh, I wanted us to spend a few moments uh, looking at and considering... The book of Job. Not the whole thing, but certainly some truths out of it. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I find that is common in all our lives uh, is suffering, is pain, is difficulties, is problems, uh, loss and grief. Uh, tonight as we pray, we're reminded of, of, of those things in, in people that are part of our church family. Um, the other day, I, I quickly thumbed through the headlines, and we find suffering and loss and grief and pain thrust into our lives every day in the newspapers. Um, I read about fighting in, in, in Iraq, in Najaf. Uh, today, I was listening to NPR on the way to, my, on the, way to the office here, and uh, the reporter that was giving a report, all of a sudden you hear explosions in the background, and he references that some mortar shells have just landed near the building where he's at. Um, in our own community, uh, we have the uh, 
uh, Shelby County pension scandal or whatever's going on there. You, you, you hear of tragedy and, and grief and uh, dishonesty and problems. Um, just in the last few days, we had Hurricane Charlie that bombarded Florida. And, and as we speak, there has been loss of life. There has been buildings destroyed. I suspect there's probably been churches that have been demolished. And, and other believers that are wondering, where in the world are we going to meet Sunday to worship together? Uh, people have lost their possessions, their homes, their cars. Um, here locally, we, we have recently in the news the kidnapping of the seven-year-old. Imagine what the, the, the grief and the pain that that family is going through uh, at the loss of their seven-year-old. My oldest is seven, and I can't fathom that. Um, I don't know what I'd be doing if my child had been taken. Uh, we constantly hear about the genocide and the famine and the difficulties in Africa. The rape, the murder, the starving children, all those things, they're suffering, tremendous suffering and pain. But we don't necessarily have to even go to international news or to headlines uh, because we each have our own experience. This week, as I'm preparing for this, I receive a phone call from a relative. This relative is relaying information to me about another relative. That relative has been spending three or four days in jail due to uh, not paying of child support. Now, certainly, that's a terrible thing, and I found, I found myself on a wave of emotions upon hearing this information. One is anger uh, at this relative and at the decisions they've made. The other is grief and sorrow and loss because I know this relative suffers. I know that while the decisions this individual is making are not right and are wrong and are harming the children, I love this relative. And my heart aches because I know the pain and the turmoil and the suffering that he's going through. Uh, within my own marriage at times there's conflict there's suffering there's, there's tension that we have to work through and resolve uh, that's never enjoyable we have shared experiences I mentioned earlier those in our church family cancer the death loss of children illness there's pain that we, that we find there. Uh, my wife and I have some friends, and within the last few months, they found out that their oldest is diabetic. Their entire family's life has been turned upside down. Um, their entire schedule uh, has been completely shattered. Suffering, pain, loss, difficulty. That is a common element to life. Job experiences that. Uh, if, you'll, if you'll look with me briefly uh, in chapter 3 of Job, we'll, we'll be looking at different places in Job, but I'm going to focus on the latter few chapters of Job. But for illustration purposes, look at Job and look how he articulates the suffering and the pain that he experiences. In chapter 3, verses 23 through 26, we read uh, from Job, Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. I can relate to that. I can relate to periods in my life 
where I have no quietness, I have no peace, but rather I have turmoil. That is a common experience to man. Now, the details of the situations that are fueling that suffering, that pain, that loss might be different. My situation has never looked like Job's. But nonetheless, I believe, I suspect, we all can relate to times, to moments, to periods where we would define ourselves as, as, as experiencing loss, as experiencing pain, as experiencing suffering. It's common to life. Now, tonight I don't really want to focus on suffering per se. Uh, Job is a difficult book, especially when it comes to questions regarding suffering. Sufferings of a right man. Uh, the, the source of suffering. That's not what I want to focus on to tonight. We could, we could engage in many philosophical and theological situations and debates and different ideas coming out of the scriptures in Job. What I want to focus on tonight is comfort. Because what is needed by all of us in the midst of suffering is comfort. We need comfort. We need to know that this is not all there is. We need to know that there's an end. We need to know that that peace, that quietness can be restored. And I believe that in Job, we do have a message of comfort. We do have a place where, uh, where we find some comfort, where we can see the comfort that is given to Job. Now, you may find yourself tonight connecting with what I'm saying, saying, yeah, me, suffering, yes, I'm there. You may not. Um, it's been said before, if you're not suffering now, give it some time, and you'll probably experience that. And I don't, I don't say that lightly, um, uh, because I, I believe it's true. Um, maybe you may not suffer in the future, but I suspect there's been points in your past where you have. You may be engaged in, in degrees of suffering now. And what we all long for, what we all hunger for in the midst of that, is comfort. Is something to ease the suffering. We may be in a situation where we know of somebody who is suffering. And so, I believe the comfort that we can, we can glean from the scriptures that was provided for Job may be of benefit to somebody we know. We may be in a position where we can express some of the comfort that we find in, in, in the scriptures here in Job's life to somebody else. Now, uh, for just the sake, uh, if there's anybody here who's not familiar with the story of Job, let me briefly summarize the scenario, and then let's begin looking at the comfort. Job opens with a description of the man Job, and he's described as a blameless an upright man. He feared God and shunned evil. Uh, he was a wealthy man. Uh, it states that he had ten children and so many thousand sheep and camels and servants and donkeys and oxen and whatnot. Then the scene turns and it goes to heaven and God is upon his throne and the angels come before God one day and Satan accompanies them. God, in essence, looks at Satan and says, uh, what's your business here? And Satan sort of answers God with a bit of a flippant answer, just sort of a vague answer, well, I've been just meandering about. And then God brings Job into, in, into Satan's view. He brings Job up to Satan. And a exchange goes, and God ends up giving Satan permission to take away all of Job's surroundings. And so 
there's a, events that occur in Job's life. Uh, raiders come and take all his donkey and oxen and kill his servants except for one. And a few moments later, fire comes from heaven and burns up all, I believe, the sheep. And uh, then other raiders come and take the camels. And then the wind blows and knocks the house down that all ten of his children are in. And so as the scriptures account, in one afternoon, Job loses everything. His children and all his possessions and his servants. Uh, Job basically accounts that from my mother's womb I came naked and I'll return the same way. Praise God. Satan goes back, the same account. Satan again is before God and God brings up Job and Satan's like, oh yeah, well, you know, his life's still fine, so he's okay. So God gives Satan permission to... uh, throw some disease or something on to uh, Job, but not take his life. So now we have Job scraping painful boils from the top of his head to the toes of his feet. There's the suffering of Job. Three friends approach Job, and um, they basically wait, I believe it is, about seven days, and then they begin engaging in conversation with Job. And to quickly surmise all that the friends say. They basically say, Job, confess your sin so your suffering will be gone. And Job maintains his innocence and presents his questions before God. A fourth individual named Elihu uh, then uh, speaks to Job. And then we find in chapter 38 that God speaks to Job. Uh, And turn there with me, if you will, to Job 38. We find God coming into the picture. We find God addressing Job. And it's here where I believe we can begin to find some some points of comfort that God gives to Job. And that's what I want us to focus on tonight. I want us to focus on a few points of comfort that I believe we find in the Scriptures that I believe have application and ramifications for us. Now the first point of comfort that we find is found in verse 1 of chapter 38. Let me direct our attention there. Then the Lord answered Job. That's the first point of comfort. God answered Job. Now, you may kind of go, okay, where's the comfort in that? But I think there's some some implications that are found in this statement, the Lord answered Job. Think for a moment with me, if you will. If God answers Job, it's implied that God is aware of Job's questions. He is attentive to Job's situation. He is aware of Job's need. There's a second implication also, I believe. God cares. God is concerned. God not only answers Job, He answers him because He's aware of his need, He's listening to Job, but He's concerned about His creature. He's concerned about Job. Probably about a year and a half or longer ago, um, I had a woman that called me and wanted to meet with me. She was a single mom. Uh, she had a, through a divorce, she was basically on her own raising an elementary age daughter. 
And the reason she came to see me is because she was having difficulty with the daughter. The difficulty basically was around the fact that at times this daughter would become very angry and would have uh, moments of, of sobbing and crying and uncontrollable anger and grief. Well, as I interacted with this woman, I really discovered that, that the reason this elementary age daughter was experiencing that is because of the statement that the daughter would say, I don't have a father. Well, the fact of the matter was she does have a father, but the father didn't love the daughter. The father was off in some other state working, and you know, basically when the daughter would initiate a phone call, would have a brief conversation with the daughter, and then of course there was maybe a birthday card uh, or maybe a present, you know, birthdays and Christmas. Well, for all practical purposes, this daughter, well, she could not articulate it, but she knew her father did not love her. She knew that her father did not answer her. She knew that her father was not listening to her. She knew that her father was not aware of her needs. She knew that her father was not concerned. And so I think quite appropriately, and that's what I shared with this woman, your daughter is grieving. She understands her loss. She understands her suffering because her father is not answering her. Well, we do not have a Heavenly Father that way. We have a Heavenly Father who we read in chapter 38, verse 1 of Job, who answers Job. We have a Heavenly Father who listens to our questions, who's aware of our need, and who is concerned for our plight and our suffering and our pain and our loss and our grief. Whatever it may be, whatever the details are, our God answers. Now, we may not have a verbal communication with our Heavenly Father in, in a manner that it appears Job did in the Scriptures. But it may even be we have something better. God has answered. He has revealed. He has, through people inspired by the Holy Spirit, written about Himself and defined who He is and told us about Himself and what's important to Him. And so, in the midst of our suffering, our pain, our loss, our grief, our turmoil, our frustration, our disappointment, we have answers from our Maker. We have answers from the Most High. We have book upon book upon verse, upon verse, upon verse, upon verse, that provides insight and answers into who God is. I think the application for us is, we need to make sure that we search it, that we go to it, that we run to the Scriptures in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain. And also, I think we need to ultimately, when we're interacting with other people, whether they're in our church family or members of our own family, in the midst of their suffering, we need to direct them to the Scriptures. Now I want to pause here and make an aside. I am not mandating flippant answers out of the Scriptures. I believe there's a place, and the Scriptures command us to weep with those who weep. There's a place where we need to come alongside and weep with those who are in the midst of dealing with the emotions that accompany suffering and pain and disappointment and frustration. But there is an appropriate place when we have adequately and appropriately weeped with those, when we have provided a hug and sat silently or cried with a brother or a sister. There's a place where, when it's appropriate, we need to move and direct and guide to God's answers, to His Scriptures.
Now, secondly, God answers. That's the, that's the first point of comfort. And the second, or that, that jumps into the second point. God answers, but He doesn't always answer the question that we may be asking. Uh, Job, for the most part, is asking a lot of questions of God through his suffering. And for the most part, his questions come around the idea of why. Why? Why, God? Let me point some of these out to you. Flip back to uh, Job chapter 3 and, and look at verse 11. Job presents this question to God. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Job is questioning why God even allowed him to live from birth. Certainly I think that, that accounts for the degree of suffering that Job has. He's questioning, God, why did you not let me die at birth? Uh, flip over a page or two to chapter 6 of Job. And we continue to see him questioning. Uh, in verses 8, of, 8 and 9 of chapter 6 we read, Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me, to let loose his hand and cut me off. One of the themes we find that Job is questioning is, God, why don't you let me die? Why don't you bring this suffering and pain to an end by letting me die? Why did you not let me die at birth? Why won't you end my life now? And then there's several places where we find, and if you'll turn over again and look in chapter 7, we find Job in essence asking the question, why have you allowed this to happen to me? And he, answer, he asks that in several places. Uh, look at verses 17 uh, in chapter 7. What is man that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you made me your target? In essence, God, why have you allowed this to occur to me? Why have you allowed this pain? Why have you allowed this suffering? Why have you allowed this loss? Why have you allowed me to, to, to experience this grief, this frustration? Why, God, why? And he continues to answer that. Um, another one in, in chapter 10, verses uh, 1 through 3. I loathe my very life, therefore I will give free reign to my complaint. And speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the schemes of the wicked? God, are you, are you happy with this? Is this why you've allowed this to occur to me? Job is asking questions why, but God does not answer these questions. Turn back again to chapter 38. <clears throat> we find uh, that first we're presented with the truth that God answers Job. But then we notice uh, in chapter 2 that God confronts Job. And look at how he confronts him. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? This idea of darkening God's counsel, in essence, it is that, that Job had diminished the clarity of God's purpose and plan in life. Because he was speaking words without knowledge. Job, Job really didn't understand what he was saying. Uh, he didn't have a complete understanding of God. And so first God confronts him. Why in the world are you darkening my counsel with, with words without knowledge? And then God 
makes a statement to Job. Here's what he says. Look at verse 3. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Now, I believe what's occurring here is not that God is expecting Job to actually answer these questions, but I believe God is presenting rhetorical questions to Job. God is presenting questions to Job because these questions, in essence, are the answer. God answers Job's questions of why with himself. God's answer is God. God's answer is himself. Look, if you will, throughout chapter 38 and 39 and 40 and most, I think, 41, all these rhetorical questions come out of God. And I believe God, in essence, is directing Job to God himself. That's the answer. He reminds Job that he is the creator. Look, uh, look in verse 4 uh, of chapter 38. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? God the creator is the answer for Job's questions. Certainly not the question Job had. But the answer is God the creator. But he goes on. God, the one who knows all, who's omniscient. Um, Look in the first verse of chapter 39. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? The answer, Job, is God, all-knowing. I know everything. I know all things. There's your answer, Job. God the Almighty, the Sovereign, the King, the Ruler. Uh, Look in in verse 12 of uh, chapter 38. Have you you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? God, the Sovereign, God the Almighty, God the Ruler, who gives orders to to the dawn. There's your answer, Job. God, the King. God, the All-Powerful. Look in in chapter 40, verse 9. Do you have an arm like God's, and can you voice thunder like His? Oftentimes, when God says, speaks of an arm, it was speaking of His strength, of His power, of His might. Uh, Job goes on in chapter 40 and speaks about the behemoth and the leviathan. Now probably in your scriptures, just kind of a little side here, in your scriptures it'll say possibly a hippopotamus or possibly a crocodile. You go home tonight and you read that and you tell me if you think that's a a hip-hop, hip-hop, one of them animals at the zoo that goes in the water. Hippopotamus or if you think it's a crocodile. Sounds like a dragon to me, one of them does. But whole other ball of wax going there as to what scholars and theologians think he's talking about there. But these were beasts of extreme power. And God basically raises them and says uh, at the end of, of uh, chapter, or in the, chapter 41, verse 11, um, everything under heaven belongs to me, including these animals and these creatures. God the Creator, God all-knowing, God Almighty, the King, the Sovereign, the Ruler, and God All-Powerful, there's your answer, Job. God answers not the question Job presents, but He answers with Himself. 
And that's a point of comfort for Job. Job actually responds with some humility there. Uh, In chapter, I believe it's 40, uh, there's a point in there where Job says, I cover my mouth. I've spoken, but I'm going to speak no more. I have three daughters. And in the midst of my guiding and training and teaching them and disciplining them, at times I have revealed some of my own history and my own past. For example, I shared a story, this was quite some time ago with my daughters, about a spanking I received as a child. Now, I'm sure at the time I thought it was a very wise maneuver to engage with them, to train and teach and understand and provide comfort for my children to account that, yes, your own father, while I know you think he's the king of the universe, um, he's depraved and he's been disobedient and he's had to be spanked himself. Now, my children, for the most part, just love to talk to my parents about that time and they think it's hilarious that their father got spanked and they, they love to ask me about that, you know, so it may not have worked what I wanted. But nonetheless, I revealed part of myself to train, to guide, and to comfort my children. I think that's what we see our Heavenly Father doing here. Our Heavenly Father to guide, to discipline, to train Job, to comfort his creature, directs Job to himself. That's the answer. God the Creator. God all-knowing. God Almighty. The Sovereign, the King, the Ruler of all. The All-Powerful. There's our answer. There's our comfort. There's the place that we find something stable, something that never changes, something that is consistent and that can be grasped a hold of, that's a rock, not sand. That's comforting for us. And I believe it's comforting for those that we may be trying to minister to also. God is the answer. Now lastly, in the last few minutes, let me draw your attention to one last point of comfort I believe we find here. In the midst of this suffering, I believe God draws Job closer to him. Let me show this to you. Uh, At the end of um, God's speech to Job, we find Job responding, replying. Look with me in, in chapter 42. Then Job replied to the Lord. Notice what Job says uh, in verse 2. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You know, that's just right, Job. You're right. I'm glad you see that. But this is not new information. This is not some new revelation to Job. Because Job, in essence, had stated these same things earlier in the book. Flip back with me, if we will, to Job chapter 9. Let me read several verses for us. Uh, Let me read about 10 or 13 or so verses in chapter 9. This is after one of the friends had spoken to Job. Job replies, and look at what he says. Then Job replied, Indeed, I know that this is true, but how can a mortal be righteous before God? Though one wished to dispute with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. 
Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He moves mountains without their knowing it and overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and makes its pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He is the maker of the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. That seems like about the same thing that Job says there in chapter 42, isn't it? I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Again, in uh, Job chapter 12, look there with me. Uh, Verse 13. This is Job speaking. To God belong wisdom and power. Counsel and understanding are his. What he tears down cannot be rebuilt. The man he imprisons cannot be released. If he holds back the waters, there is drought. If he lets them loose, they devastate the land. To him belong strength and victory. Both deceived and deceiver are his. He leads counselors away stripped and makes fools of judges. He takes off the shackles put on by kings and ties a loincloth around their waist. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows men long established. He silences the lips of trusted advisors and takes away the discernment of elders. He pours contempt on nobles and disarms the mighty. He reveals the deep things of darkness and brings deep shadows into the light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. Job already knew this information. This was not new for him. He knew that God can do all things and that no plan of his can be thwarted. But then look at what happens in verse 5 of Job chapter 42. Job surmises that yes, God is sovereign and all he does uh, comes to pass. And then he accounts that God was going to question him. And in verse 5 we read, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. There's the point of comfort. God used suffering to draw Job closer to him. He starts out at one point having heard God, but now he sees God. You all can relate to that. It's going to go something like this. Uh, Through business or something or whatnot, you've encountered a person and you've engaged with them and connected with them on the phone, maybe two, three, a dozen times, and you've spoken with them on the phone. And if you're like me, you basically make some form of a mental picture of what you think this individual looks like. But then for some reason, you have a face-to-face with the individual. Maybe there's a lunch meeting or discussion, and all of a sudden, what you thought that person looked like, who you'd spoken to so many times and interacted with, all of a sudden you have a clearer, more accurate, more precise picture of that individual because you've seen them face-to-face. Well, that's exactly what's occurred here with Job. He knew things of God and he'd heard them but through his suffering now he sees he has a clearer picture he has a more accurate understanding he has a more precise knowledge of God who is the answer there's hope there there's even a bit of degree of of purpose in suffering. We can see at that point that God allows suffering, yet He brings about Job knowing God more through the suffering. And I suspect if we spend a few minutes 
looking back at our own periods of suffering, pain, and loss, we may be able to see that also. How God, through the midst of pain and suffering and loss, has brought about the fact that we now see God where before we only heard God. We have a clearer picture of our sovereign maker, the creator, the all-powerful, the almighty. We have a more precise understanding of his dealings in life and his steadfastness. And there is comfort there. There is comfort in Job. There is comfort to the suffering. And I believe that has tremendous application for us. Because what do we want in the midst of suffering? Comfort. We want some, some reprisal of the suffering. We want, we want someone to come and to provide some salve for our wounds and our pain and our turmoil. We need comfort. And our Heavenly Father knows that. And He provides it. He provides it in an answer. And the answer is Himself. And He even gives us a glimpse of some of the purpose. He uses suffering to draw us closer to Him. Now I hope that may touch you where you need it tonight. But I also hope that when God places you in a position to minister to another, that you'll remember this. And after you've appropriately wept with the individual, gently move them in the direction in seeing how the sovereign creator of the universe answers he answers with himself and he provides a purpose to the suffering by drawing us closer to him let me pray for us here dear heavenly father I thank you for your scripture I thank you father for the way that you have revealed aspects of yourself to us through your word father may we be a people that drink deeply of this truth May, Father, we we feast upon it, Father. May we find our sustenance in it. May, Father, we find in the midst of our suffering and our pain and our frustration and disappointment and agony and loss and grief, Father, may we find you. May we find your answer, Father. May we find ourselves drawn ever closer to you. May we we have a clearer and more accurate understanding of, of who you are and how you love us, Father. You are the only stable, consistent thing that exists in the universe. And Father, may we cling to you. Father, as we leave here tonight, I pray your word will provide comfort to our lives. And Father, I pray that you will use us to minister to others and to provide comfort and knowledge of you in their lives. I thank you, Father, for the grace that we find in Jesus Christ, Father, that that marvelous, wonderful, life-giving grace that is lavished upon us day after day after day, Father. May we remember that grace every time we take a breath. And I ask these things and pray these things in his name. Amen.